Man, it's great to be here today. Kids are going to be getting back to school, so that's exciting for everybody, especially um, for, uh, for those of you that uh, have been counting down to figure out when in the world your children would be able to escape the zoo that is your home and go to the zoo that is the school, right? So we're glad about, we're glad about that. Hey, I mentioned that we're going to have Play-Doh. Hey, how many of you love Play-Doh? We got, we got some Play-Doh lovers, right? I mean, who doesn't like who doesn't like Play-Doh? Um, when I was a kid, it was, it, it was really cool because you could take this squishy blob of colorful, you know, dough and, and have multitudes of uses for it. I mean, you could take it and you could squeeze it and you could then slam it down and you could pull it apart and, and it, was, it was really cool. Now, the more, the more advanced kindergartners could, could take Play-Doh and, and make a hamburger or, you know, a hot dog out of it, um, and then those less advanced kindergartners would try to eat the hamburger or the hot dog. But, you know, um, I didn't do that. Uh, the overachievers, though, man, they would make, they would make Play-Doh people. Do you remember being in kindergarten? Remember being in preschool? And, and, and you would be sitting there with your Play-Doh, and, and you would just be happy that you made a ball. Right? I mean, you, you, you worked on that thing, and, and you made this ball, and it was circular, and it was round, and it was great. And then all of a sudden, you looked at the table next to you, and there was some, you know, industrious, you know, little Hermione that was there. And, and all of a sudden, you, you've got little Play-Doh people, and they're riding around in little Play-Doh cars, you know. And, and you're looking at your ball, and you just reach over and grab the container and put it back inside, right? And, and since then, you haven't liked Play-Doh. You haven't wanted to have anything to do with it. But it was so much fun. You could mow those clumps of dough into almost anything. And then you were, when you were finished playing, you could take it and just put it back into the container. It was done. You could stuff it in there. And then the very next day, you would take it out again, squeeze it, roll it, cut it. And it was great. It was Play-Doh. And each day, it would turn into something different. Now, I've got with me a, um, a container here. It's got... Um, all kinds of different um, pieces, and it's got um, Play-Doh, uh, six different containers of Play-Doh. And uh, today is the last day uh, for our interns. Mary and Wesley um, are uh, going to be headed back to school. They've been with us all summer long. Uh, Mary's going to be heading back to Harding. Wesley, he's still going to be around. He's going to be up at Lee. Uh, but their time when it comes to working with our middle school and high schoolers is coming to an end. But I did not want you guys to leave okay, without helping me out with one more thing. So, so Mary, if you would come here. Wesley, I need you to come here as well. And uh, by the way, let's give these guys a round of applause. They've done a great job this summer. They've done a really good job. And, and uh, I've got a lot of reasons that I want you guys up here. Here we go. And one of the main ones was so that I could apologize to Mary in front of everybody. Uh, because I don't know how many times at the office this summer, or wherever we might be, I have um, inadvertently called Mary Molly and thought that she should answer to that. Right? And she did. That was, see, she took pity on this old guy, and so she would respond, and then I'd be like, oh, I did it again. You know, so this is Mary, this is not Molly, and she has done a great job Great job with us. So I want to apologize to you. I do know what your, what your name is. I just can never remember to say it um, correctly. So here's what I have for you. I have for you a container of Play-Doh. All right, Mary? And what you and Wesley are going to do, I've got this table that's right over here. 
And, and you guys, I want you to go over there, and I want you to, to take this container. There's all kinds of things um, in here. We've got little, uh, little cat molds, okay? There's, a little, there's some scissors in here, so be careful. There's some little squeegee things, all right? And, and you guys, go over here to this table, and I want you individually to make something, all right? You can make whatever you want to make, all right? It's all up to you, but you will be graded when we're done. All right, there you go. So take this over there. You guys work on that. All right, you guys work on it, and um, we'll, we'll kind of see how things are going here, um, see how things are going in, in, a, in a little bit. Now, I can't help but think that many of us feel like child's Play-Doh every once in a while. Uh, each day, we get taken out of our own containers, and we're squeezed by our culture into a, mo- a mold of its choosing. And just when we begin to take shape, just when we begin to, to feel like, all right, I, I think I understand this. I think I'm finally in the mold that I need to be. Well, there's a new post. There's a, there's a TikTok. There's a new book. There's a movie. There's a new podcast that drops. And all of a sudden, we're pulled in another direction. And we're rolled out and we're cut up and we're, we're squeezed again into a new form. And so over time, we begin to take on the shape of our society. And we mirror the latest fads, the latest beliefs, the latest talking points, the, the latest hashtags. That's who we become, and that's what we show ourselves to be to others. We have no shape. We have no identity of our own, only what is forced upon us. And so Christians face a dilemma. There's a problem that we have. You see, in the midst of a secular society, when more and more people seem to be rejecting everything that we believe, well, how do we walk closely with God without taking the shape and the identity of our culture? Is it possible to actually be able to demonstrate the love of Jesus to others and to serve those who are in need, to share the good news of the gospel with with those who, who need to hear it, those who are apart from God? Can we do those things without embracing the immorality that often comes in the midst of a rapidly changing culture? And we feel like we're being stretched, and we feel like we're being pressed down, and we feel like we're being squeezed. You see, we're caught in the middle of extremes. We don't want to alienate people who need God just as much as we do. And we know we need God and and we know others need God. But we don't want to compromise our convictions and we don't want to compromise our beliefs either. And so consequently, we feel like we don't know our place anymore. One author says that many cultural historians believe that we in the West are living between, between two eras. Witnessing the end of the life chapter that has held on for centuries where the conventional and the familiar props of established society, he says, are rapidly disappearing. With the ending of this way of life, people then are pursuing safety, stability, and yet they're not able to find it. They're not able to achieve it. And that's where we are. We're being stretched, and we're being squeezed, and we're being told, this is what you've got to look like, and this is how you have to be. Now, by the way, you guys aren't collaborating over there, are you? This is individual, all right? All right, don't, yeah, that's better. That's better. All right. All of this presents a lot of questions for us, and we just don't have easy answers. And so we ask, well, what's my role as a follower of Jesus in today's constantly shifting culture? And we say, how can I stand firm in my faith and still be relevant to people who seem so different from me? You tried to share some of your beliefs lately, right? How does that go? How... How should I respond when others say that my Christian views are unloving? 
Do you know that more and more people in our culture say that the church is now immoral? The church is immoral because of the different stances it takes on human sexuality. So what do you do if, if your view differs from the prevailing cultural winds? How does the Christian message apply to everyone when there's just so many differences in our culture and different ethnicities and different lifestyles and different orientations and different political beliefs and different spiritual practices? If you stand for the truth, will people, what will people think of you? And how do you keep your kids engaged in culture without losing them to it? And, and how is it that you're going to be able to handle the barrage of a constantly changing world? People say, hey, doesn't God love us all? And didn't he send his son to die so that all might be saved? So what's the big deal? We need to understand these questions are not new. In every generation, followers of God have lived with the tension. They've lived with the tension that comes from swimming up stream against current culture. Believers who orient their thoughts and actions through a God lens can't help but find themselves at odds with a society who at best ignores God and at worst just rejects him in whole. And because then our humanity craves acceptance, well, here's what we do. We begin to succumb to the pressure to reorient our lives around some culturally accepted standard or thought of behavior because we want people to like us. All these kids going to middle and high school, they want to be liked. In elementary school, it's just a given. Hey, we like everybody, you know? So you eat my Play-Doh. I like you. You're great. You're funny. We laugh. But it gets more difficult when you get older. And you go to college, and you want your professors to hopefully give you a good grade and you want, because you want to have a good relationship and you want to be able to get recommendations in the future. And so do you start to change who you are in order to be accepted. Well, the Apostle Paul addressed this reality when he wrote to Christians. He wrote to Christians living in the midst of a pagan, hedonistic, and just over-hypersexed culture. And he urged them, do not conform to the pattern of this world. He says, don't be conformed to this age. Don't copy the behavior and customs of all the people that are around you. Don't be shaped by this world, he says. And I really like how J.B. Phillips describes Paul's, Paul's meaning and thoughts. He says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. I love that imagery. Don't be squeezed. But I can't help but think that oftentimes we look around and we say, you know what? How many of us have been have felt that pressure? How many of us have felt the pressure, whether it be at school or at work or in some kind of social set setting, to be squeezed into a certain mold, to act in a certain way, to say a certain thing, to take something that normally we wouldn't take, to do something we normally wouldn't do, all because of the pressure that comes in order for us to resemble today's culture? How's it going over there, guys? You doing good? You getting it? All right. You guys are working way harder on that than I thought you would. That's good, though. Keep it up. Keep it up. We'll see what you got. Guys, we live in a world right now where skepticism runs rampant. I don't know if you noticed this or not. Where nothing is to be believed anymore, and everything is to be questioned. We are constantly being asked to accept the truth that there is no such thing as truth. Think about that for a minute. I have my truth, I'm told, and, and you have your truth, but there exists no universal truth. We are told that, that we and we alone are the captain of our soul 
and the governor, the governor of our world. And as such, we have this divine prerogative to imagine and shape and then reshape again everything about our own reality, everything about our identity, any way that we see fit. In other words, some of you that are familiar with Old Testament passages, everyone just gets to do what's right in their own eyes. And guess what? It sounds so good. I mean, doesn't it sound good to say that you've got your truth and you've got your truth and everybody's got a truth? It's like, Oprah, you get truth and you get truth and you get truth. It's like everybody gets truth and we're like, yes, you can't tell me what to do. I get to make up my own mind. I don't have to listen to anybody. I can decide what works best for me on any given day and on any given time in my life. And as long as I don't hurt anyone else, even though it might be harmful to me, well, I can do as I please. And you can't say anything about it. You know why? Because it's my truth. It's not your truth. So everyone gets their own truth. Because society says there's no real overarching meaning to life. There's no meta-narrative that holds everything together. So any meaning or purpose of life, then, well, it gets broken down and decided by individuals or groups of individuals. And so think about what happens. Universal narratives... Those former self-evident truths that were just taken for granted. Well, these are now deconstructed into micro-narratives for every race and for every class and for every gender. The only universal truth is that there is no universal truth. And you didn't realize you were being squeezed into that mold. Or maybe you did. But consider where it leads. Because there is no agreement on what is right and true, power becomes all-important. Since there is no meaning and no standard basis for morality, there's no legitimate controls. I mean, why should I live by your morality? Why should I live by it when I have my own truth? And so in a moral vacuum like this, there is a natural grab for power and control without regard to the eternal values of goodness and unity and, and mercy and beauty. And in a world where each person makes their own truth, the only thing that is left is the irrefutable will and power of those who want to be in control. And guys, guess what? This is why politics has become so important and so divisive in our culture. Since power is the only thing left, each special interest group grapples violently to control the political agenda. And the results of all this jockeying for power result in each social group asserting their understanding of what is right and each political group vying for control of laws and their own interpretation of justice. But beyond the political and social chaos, there's an underlying disillusionment and futility. Because think about it. If there is no other purpose in life than your purpose that you create, is that going to be enough? I mean, what if somebody else has a better purpose? And that attitude breeds nihilism, a feeling that all realities are just absurd and, and useless. And in a world like this, if each person decides what is right and true, then what is the purpose and what's the point? Right? I mean, what's the, what's the point? Especially if I miss the point. Guys, every day you and I are being squeezed into a mold that says everyone has their own truth, and everyone's truth is just as valid as another's. And therefore, you've got to fight for the right, not to party, but to express and love your truth, or live your truth, and discover your purpose. But guys, ultimately, there is no purpose, is what we're told. So no matter how hard you try to look for your purpose, it's not there beyond what you can create. So again, what's the point? 
There is no God other than the God that you can create. There is no truth other than what you can believe. And there is no hope other than what you can embrace. And so you're sitting here this morning going, thanks, Chris, for this wonderful, encouraging message. Man, you're pumping me up. We have Play-Doh. Guys, here's what I want to do this morning. I'm just trying to start the conversation. I'm trying to begin a conversation because this squeeze that we're experiencing is nothing new. Believers of God have always been pressured to conform their thoughts and their actions to the patterns of the people and societies that surround them. And now what I want us to do is discuss over the next few weeks how we can maintain our spiritual distinctiveness in the midst of a society that's trying to squeeze us into its mold. And to do so, though, we're going to dust off a story that was written, a story that was written to inspire believers in God whose faith and faithfulness were being squeezed. It was the exact purpose that, that, it, that it was written, to be able to inspire people just like you and, and you and, and those of you that feel like, I just feel like, man, I want to serve God, but I, I want to be in the community. I want to be of the world, not in the world, and all these things, and I just don't know what to do. I just feel squeezed. So after the reigns of King David and his son Solomon, Israel splintered along geographical and tribal lines. And within just a few generations, the ten northern tribes of Israel, they abandoned their faith in the living God, and they started to worship idols. Now, obviously, God was not happy with this, and so he sends warning after warning to the people, but they did not heed any of the warnings. And so, finally, he was left with no choice, and he allowed the Assyrians to conquer every tribe of the northern kingdom. But then there was a southern kingdom. Judah and the smaller tribe of Benjamin, they made up that southern group, and Despite watching what had happened to their northern kinsmen, they also decided that they would go their own way and have their own truth and do what they wanted to do. And, and so they walked away and drifted away from God. And again, God issued different warnings through his prophets, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. They all said, turn to God, listen to what's going on, see what's happening. But the nation of Judah refused to listen. And so this time, judgment arrived in the form of the Babylonians under the leadership of their emperor Nebuchadnezzar. They'd already conquered the Assyrians, already taken out the Egyptians, and so they, now they descended on Judah, and they totally destroyed Jerusalem. They not only looted the temple, but they also enslaved the Jewish people. Judah crumbled. The people of Israel became slaves, prisoners of war, and they were taken off into exile, into a culture that was totally different from their homeland. Now, with this group, there was this young guy, named Daniel. He was probably around 16 years old when he was transported along with thousands of other Jews to be enslaved in Babylon. Daniel found himself in a foreign country that elevated sensual pleasure, idol worship, and moral decadence. And it was the expectation that those conquered Jewish people would be assimilated into the culture of the conquerors. And so Daniel and his fellow captives would be squeezed into the Babylonian lifestyle. For three years, it was anticipated that he would be indoctrinated into the Babylonian language. He would learn all the Babylonian history. He would have his identity stripped from him. He would be given a new name and a new purpose. His situation was bleak. Resistance was futile. There was no resistance movement. There was no one coming to his rescue. There was no legal recourse. There was no government to appeal to. There was no hope. But we're told that Daniel resolved, that Daniel resolved not to defile himself. We're told he made a choice. 
And when he was given the choice between being squeezed into the mold of a culture whose thoughts and practices were inconsistent with his faith, Daniel resolved to break the mold. And in the coming weeks, we're going to discover that Daniel glorified God through his actions and speech. We're going to discover that his character and conduct stood out because it was both respectful, but it was also resolute. He didn't conform to the demands of Nebuchadnezzar and all the pagan customs of the Babylonians, but also he didn't act self-righteous as if he had all the answers and he knew all the truth. He wasn't judgmental or defensive either because he knew that the goal wasn't to be right, but it was to have influence. And so for the next 70 years of his life, think about this. For the next 70 years of his life, Daniel faced life-threatening tests. But even though this foreign culture was shifting around him, Daniel never wavered in his faith. And in response, God demonstrated He demonstrated his supernatural power and honored the one who honored him by choosing influence. And so Daniel gained the respect of four different Babylonian emperors. And the last one actually granted the Jewish people freedom so that they could return home. See, we're going to learn that Daniel chose influence over acceptance. And and guys, I I, I intentionally put the Play-Doh over here so the high schoolers and middle schoolers could have something like a squirrel to focus on. Right? But I want you guys to focus in on me here in just a minute. Hear me out. It is vital that you make a decision now before you ever go onto the campus that you're going to choose influence over acceptance. The time to make that choice is not in the midst of the moment. The time to make that choice is long before you feel the squeeze, where you understand your purpose, and you understand your calling, and you understand why you exist, and what your identity is all about, and you decide, I am going to be an influencer, and I will choose that over acceptance. You see, Daniel did that, and he became an agent of change in a foreign culture. And and like Daniel, you and I can become catalysts for redemptive change. There can be culture change that takes place within your school, within your office space, within the confines of whatever group that you're a part of. There can be a change of culture that takes place because of the influence that you choose to wield in that space. We don't have to compromise our beliefs. We don't have to actively participate in that anything-goes mindset. But at the same time, we also don't have to compromise or sacrifice respectful relationships by judging and condemning others. We can actually be people of influence. We know that our goal is not to make a point, but our goal is to make a difference. We can be a people who stand out because of the way that we relate to others. We can be a people who who stand out because of the way that we interact with those who are different from us. We can be a people who serve those in need and, and, and demonstrate a willing spirit of gracious generosity. We can be a people who reflect the loving kindness of a good and gracious God. And we can be a people who can both stand firm and love well. We can do this because you are different from Plato. All right, let's see what you guys got. Come here. I know it's going to be worth something one day. All right? Come here, let's see what we got. Wesley has made a car and placed it on a nice little stand. 
so that it can sit there. All right. And, and what do you have, Mary? A bunch of sheep on a blue hill. Oh, go ahead. I know you wanted, you wanted to do that, right? All right. Now, I'm going to turn the car so it's not going to run over the sheep. That would not be good. But I'm going to put it right, right here. All right. Are you upset now? You said you didn't, you didn't know there was a sheep mold? You're like, man, I didn't know we had one of those. Are you happy with yours? You like it? All right. Um, guys, Play-Doh is awesome. I mean, they were over there. They worked hard at it, right? I mean, I mean, we've got different colors. We've got different shapes, okay? They have made something. Here's the cool thing. Guess what? If you leave this out overnight, it will harden, and you can take this back to your dorm room, and you can have a reminder, all right? This is your reminder of your summer here at um, Eddie Sprainer. All right, this is my gift to you. You're, you're, you're welcome, Molly. All right, um, this, is, this is my gift to you, Wesley. Right, you guys can take this and keep this. But guys, here, here's, the, here's the reminder. This Play-Doh had no choice into what it became. It was shaped totally by the imagination of these two, and they did an awesome job. That is pretty cool. They created something that they're going to keep now. They're going to remember. They're going to remember us forever, all because of this right here. But here's what I want you to remember. Play-Doh does not have a choice in the mold and the shape that it takes. But you do. You do. You have a choice each and every day not to be squeezed into the mold of this world, but instead to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what we're going to do over these next few weeks. We're going to come together. I want you to invite people. Invite somebody to come with you and say, hey, we're playing with Play-Doh. It's going to be awesome, you know? Come on. Come and be with us. We're going to talk about being squeezed, and we're going to talk about how that, guess what? We do not have to be squeezed into the mold of the culture and society that's around us. Instead, we can take on the very image of the God and Christ that we serve. And that's an awesome thing. You're not like Play-Doh. You're so much more valuable. You're so much more special. And you have a choice as to what you will be. Will you join me in prayer for all of us, and especially for these two, as they head off? Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you for the fact that you have not just left us here to our own devices, that you have not just left us in a culture that, that is going to overtake us. Oh, we can choose to, to, to allow the pressure. We can choose to allow all of the, uh, all the things that we hear and, and see and experience to, to change us and to, to morph us into something that we were never intended to be. But Father, remind us today that we have a choice. We have a choice as to how we're going to talk. We have a choice as to, as to the, the truth that we're going to uphold. We have a choice as to the way we're going to treat others. We have a choice as the way that we're going to see ourselves in the mirror. Father, we have a choice as to how we are going to, to live our lives. We, we have a choice as to what we are going to place value and importance on. Father, we have a choice to choose you. And I pray that for all who are listening this morning, whether here on our campus or, or somewhere listening online, I pray that we each would choose you. For in the beginning, you chose us. Father, Help us not to be squeezed into the mold of this world, but instead transform us into the image of your son. Father, I pray for, for Wesley. I pray for, for Mary as, as they head back to college. I'm so thankful for their hearts and for their desire to, to be with us this summer and for the relationships that they have built here within our youth ministry, 
More than that, I'm thankful for what you have done in them this summer and for the way that you have strengthened them, the way that you've challenged them, the way that you have opened their eyes to, to something that they did not know they were going to experience before they came. And Father, I pray that as they, as they go back to Lee, as they go back to Harding, that they are going to go as, as your ambassadors. And, and, I, and I know, Father, both of those campuses are, 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 are places where, where your name is exalted. But, but Father, we know that, that in every culture, in every space, there are those places where there are those places that are dark. There are those places where light needs to be. Father, allow them to be the light in that darkness. Don't allow them to be squeezed into the molds of this world. Allow them to be transformed. Allow that for us all, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. Take these. And when I come to your campus and see you in your room, I want it to be there. Actually, I want you to take a picture. Six months, I want you to take a picture of where it is, where you've put it, right? And we'll share it with, uh, we'll share it with everybody. Guys, we're going to close out our time together. I appreciate your patience as we have, as we've walked through just some introductory material today to talk about just the life that we need to live, to, to live as followers of Jesus in a culture that doesn't always recognize Jesus, Right? And so I appreciate the way that you have um, responded and participated. But I would love for you to have this moment now as we, as, as we sing about what God has done for us. I would love for you to have this moment where, you know what, if, if you would like for us to pray specifically for you this morning, we would love to do that. And, and you can make that known just by, just by coming somewhere here to the front. We'd be glad just to pray for you specifically as, as a church body. Or if you'd like to um, just talk to someone in private, we have a prayer room back in our lobby. You're welcome to go back there. One of our elders will be there in the room. Be glad to um, pray with you, talk with you about whatever is going on. Guys, if you have been squeezed in the past, if you have taken on the mold of this world, you can break that mold because of the Spirit of God that is within you. So don't think that just because something happened last year or something that happened last week that it's totally changed you. Be changed by God. And then allow that change to be shared with others. Would you like to come this morning and be baptized into Christ? Would you like to make any requests known? Whatever your need is, we'd love for you to come. But let's stand and encourage one another right now not to be squeezed.